This is The Roxanne Show. Get ready. It's time to rise. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Roxanne Show. I'm so excited to present today's guest to you, Dr. Michael Gervais. Mike Gervais is one of the world's top high-performance psychologists and leading experts on the relationship between the mind and human performance. He is literally a badass in understanding the science of excellence and helping all of his world-class elite level performers that he coaches to live into their most excellent state of self and performance. So this is a really special conversation, you guys, because Mike Gervais came into my life uh, at least over a decade ago because my best friend, Carrie Walsh Jennings, worked with Michael Gervais for years and years. They're very good friends. And that's how I was introduced to him and his work. And he started his podcast, Finding Mastery. I highly recommend you check it out about eight years ago. And I started my podcast six years ago. When I started my podcast, I was thinking about some of the individuals that I'd really like to sit down and have a conversation with. And Mike Gervais was at the top of the list. So it took six years for us to get here, but it's perfect timing because the where the show is now, production value and, and everything about it really was the perfect environment and scenario to to bring Mike in and have this conversation with him. I was able to go, actually, the Roxanne show went on a field trip and I went into his mastery lab in California and recorded this episode. And, you know, the entire talk is just, it's so authentic. He is so authentic. He's so wise. And I love how you feel his heart throughout all of his words and all of his work. And I don't believe that anybody can truly live a life of mastery without operating from their heart space. So I'm excited for you to take in this episode and all of Mike's wisdom. He just put out a new excellent book. It's already one of my favorites and it's also a national bestselling book, The First Rule of Mastery. It's all about fear of other people's opinions and what you can do to release yourself of that fear. So we talk about that and so many other important topics that I know you will love and value in this episode. Before I hit play, I'd love to ask those of you who have not already taken a moment to subscribe to the show, to please subscribe and to please leave us a five-star rating review. It truly helps the show grow. And, you know, the growth of the show means that more people get to take in the incredible content like this episode that you're about to take in. So thank you for those who will take the time to do that today. And now enjoy the talk with the incredible Mike Gervais. Awesome. So I'm going to start with a quote from your incredible new book that I truly, truly love. And yeah, this, this, I'd love you just to elaborate on this. We crowdsource our sense of self. We allow other people to decide how we feel about ourselves. Why do we do this? I love that you picked one. Thank you. And I love that you picked that quote. The, um, that crowdsourcing aspect is when we are not sure who we are and what parts of us are honestly ours that we can fully embrace. And so what we end up doing is it's almost like we use a tuning fork to the crowds, whoever mm. the crowds are. And we look outside almost reflectively to say, or reflexively to say, am I okay in your eyes? So when we crowdsource that, we are basically pinging off other people, am I okay? And there's a whole 
biological piece. There's a neurological piece we can get into. There's a psychological and behavioral aspect of it. But the biology is quite simple. Millions of years ago, we had this brain that was starting to form, and it hasn't changed all that much. And so if we just go even something as recent as 200,000 years ago, if we were kicked out of the tribe, it was problems. And so our brain is highly tuned to scanning the world for danger. We understand a wildebeest is dangerous, we, right? A warring tribe is dangerous. But we've, what we've missed in our modern narrative is that um, our teammates, our tribe mates are actually quite dangerous because if they reject us mm -hmm. and we're, you and I are kicked out of the tribe and yeah. now the two of us have to go and fend and fight and hunt and gather and do all the survival tactics, it's too much. Yeah. So rejection from others is a near death sentence, even in modern times. But literally, if you or if I reject something you say or mm -hmm. reject your lifestyle or whatever, it doesn't mean a death sentence to you. It mm -hmm. actually helps you get a little bit closer to the tribe that you want to be in. So the system has changed. Modern society has shifted, um, but the brain hasn't. So we're still outsourcing, am I okay? Yeah, yeah. So your book, The Full First Rule of Mastery, the premise of the book is um, fear of other people's opinions, right? FOPO? FOPO. Isn't that fun? Yeah. yeah I mean, it's so it, it was meant to be silly and just have fun with it. Yeah. I love it. Well, I, you know, it makes me think about some of the greatest fears. One is public speaking, right? Is it really public speaking or do you go deeper? And is it really that fear of rejection that you're talking about? The fear of other people's opinions? That's right. It's not public speaking is not dangerous. It's yeah. what happens if they think that you're not good enough. Yeah. And so it's the fear, it's putting yourself, purposely putting yourself oftentimes in a position of high risk mm -hmm. to acceptance from the tribe. And it's the greatest fear to most people in the Western world is because um, it's not dangerous that there's a sniper in row 42 and there's a somebody with like a bludgeoned instrument in row six. If you make mistakes, it's not that. It's what's behind their eyeballs. Mm. And so we know it because 200,000 years ago, that thing was taking place in our brains to scan for danger. They are dangerous if they reject us. Yeah. And it, so, so the thing for us to do that we're hopefully ringing the bell on is like just know how your brain works. Mm. And when you know that, you can you can override and work with that biology. Yeah. And it, the freedom on the other side. I mean, I I have a sense of freedom, but I still think there's more for me to go. Yeah. The freedom on the other side is radical. And yeah. it's wonderful. And I was, for most of my life, I was constricted by playing a second game by looking outside of myself to see if I was okay. So those words that you started with was the, um, literally the, the noose that was wrapped around my whole body for most of my life. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, as a writer, I mean, reading those, it's, it, the message is so powerful, but then also just from the writer's perspective, I'm like, wow, we crowdsource our sense of self. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. good. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah I mean, you, you, let's talk about your background a little bit, because I really appreciate so much of what I've learned about your background. I mean, how, um, and there's so much, we have a lot in common, surfing, mm -hmm. and how that was a big piece to, to really bring you to where you are today, right? Mm -hmm. To discover your love for psychology and then put you on this path that yeah. you're living your dharma, yeah. I believe, for sure. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Surfing was really important. It was where I learned most about the human experience. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like you, I didn't fit in traditional sport. 
there was adults yelling at kids with man-made rules. And I was like, I, I just never fit in that world. I didn't want, I, as a kid, I didn't want to be yelled at. And this wasn't just a sample of one coach. It was like, I look around, it's these adults yelling at yeah. kids. And again, everything was man-made. And I, that felt contrived and it felt inorganic. And I didn't want to be part of that system. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Um, it was a handful for my family when I was younger, but. Wait, can I ask you a question? Mm-hmm. Was it a bit of, was that feeling almost like a rebellion? Like, don't, don't yell at me. Like oh, 100%. That, like, oh, yes. Uh, yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. Love it. Yeah, I knew you would. Okay. Like yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that was it. I was like, I don't, I don't get what yeah. this thing here is. And so I wanted to be, I wanted to be in um, environments that were honest. And so if you get over your skis or you get over, you know, a, a pitch on a wave or so I grew up in action sports, which I know you understand, mm-hmm. like mother nature is pretty inconsistent, very swift. And there's some, there's, you know, you don't always pay for the mistakes, but yeah. you can. Yep. And it was, it's just so honest. So it requires you to have a tuning fork with yourself first. And if you put yourself in a heavy consequential situation, you don't have no business being there. Yeah. You find out quickly. And so it teaches. So it's a great teacher. I don't want to overdo kind of the the hippie approach to life, but I really, no, I, I, really <laughs> I really appreciate this part of my learning environment. It was a great me laboratory too. for me. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, nature is truth. That's one of my quotes. So you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. It's just right. And <laughs> it just it's still standing up. Absolutely. Until we really screw it up. I don't want to be a pessimist, but we're not taking care of <laughs> I know. We could her. do a lot better. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to get our ass kicked soon. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, we kind of already are. You're seeing some of the stuff happen, but. Yeah. Yeah. You know. So well, one of the things that I think is central for my approach to life is relationships. Yes. So relationship with self first, mm-hmm. others, mother nature, um, experience in and of itself, and machines. Mm. It's a little bit of a, a pebble in the pond approach. And okay. to me, that's what the spiritual life is. But you're first, first and foremost, if you don't have a relationship with yourself, it's really almost nearly impossible to have a relationship with anything else. Yes. And most of us are so terrified by the world, invisible world of, mm-hmm. of psychology and emotion and feelings and that we don't investigate who we really are. Yeah. So we end up getting whipped around. And I'm speaking from my experience. I got whipped around for most of my life about all the external standards and expectations and pressures. And and I had no idea who I was and who I wanted to become more often. So um, there was no chance I could be in a healthy relationship with anyone else. Yeah. So I just became really selfish is what kind of how that started. Was it really that you didn't know or is it, it just wasn't revealed to you yet because it was covered with all of, That's you know, question. the external? That's a really good question. Um, at some level, I guess I am that there's a part of me that is the same person at three and 13 and 23 and 33, that that through line has always been there. Yeah. But being able to um, be with it is mm-hmm. different. Totally. And, and to actually put words and know what it is. At three, it's a feeling. At 13, it's like, what is that? Mm-hmm. At 23, you kind of know, but there's another pull. Yeah. You know, the social kind of being fit in or whatever that, that at least for me was part of it. I'm almost 53. And so at 53, yeah, at 53, I'm like, oh, fuck, it's way easier like this. But it's only because age is not one of the rites of passage to know yourself. Wisdom is not, does not correlate well with age. It correlates highly with internal investigation. And that comes from three ways. Meditation, mindfulness, journaling, 
There's a forcing function there and conversations with people wisdom. You know, if you can get those three together and then you're in environments that are honest mm-hmm. and they like mother nature or whatever. Yeah. Fuck, it's, a, it's like a forcing function to get right. So good. And mm. what I hear is and really value is that you maybe you weren't cognizant of it when you were younger, but you, you valued authenticity. Mm. You valued I, autonomy. I feel authenticity and autonomy, personal autonomy, go hand in hand, right? Yeah, they can. Yeah, for they sure. They can? Yeah. yeah. Tell me more. Well, like, I get a little hazy. My, I wrote a, wrote, I did an audio book, mm-hmm. and it was technically, it's not a book, but I don't know another, it's called an audible original, you know? <laughs> and the subtitle of it, Coach Carroll from the Seattle Seahawks and I, we did it together. And the subtitle, so the title was Compete to Create, and it was basically work your ass off to create a living masterpiece, compete to create. And the subtitle was um, an approach to living and learning women, living and leading authentically. Mm. And I cringe a bit with the word authenticity. Okay. And it's in the subtext or subtitle of, of that Audible original. And the reason I, like I struggle with it, I, what does that mean? Oh. And so it's, what it means to me, what yeah. it means to you, and it can be very, very different. Right. And I, I mean, just as a banter, like, what does that mean to you, the word authenticity? Yeah, it's authenticity for me is my true essence. And what is that? Well, that's the journey. Mm. That's yeah. the adventure that, you know, I personally have been on and continue to dive into, you know, to really n- discover, unfold embody, express, long answer. No, no, that's great. So is it more, is authenticity, authenticity more about the path and the approach or Mm -hmm. is it more about um, the expression of who you are? I think it's both. Yeah. yeah. I think it's, it's really for me, it's, I mean, there's one kind of buttoned up way that I, what do you really want to say yes to in life? And what do you really want to say no to? That's cool. Because in my mind, there are no shoulds that live in the heart. Mm. Yeah. And so it's like, (laughs) it's a sharp yes or no. But that's really difficult for people to, A, feel into for a lot of reasons, but also, B, then execute from, Mm -hmm. right? Because you don't trust yourself. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Talk about that. The trust piece. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a place where um, when you know that you'll figure it out too, whatever whatever consequence to actions or inactions take place, whatever external circumstances that seem un, you know, unmanageable, mm-hmm. you know, health or whatever it might be, when you can get to a place like, I don't want those things, I can't control them though. And whatever happens in front of me, I will figure that out to my best ability too. Yeah. And that is essentially to me what self-trust is about. And the only way you can earn self-trust that I've come to understand is you have to do really hard things and understand what you've learned from those really hard things. And I I think that one of the most powerful things we can say to ourselves is I can do hard things. Yeah. And so there's a um, rite of passage. Again, I'll use that phrase to being an adult to know, which is that kind of of passes through self-trust. Yep. Where you say, I can be afraid. I'm unsure. Um, I can hesitate, but I also have a deep knowing that I can figure things out. 
so I, I can do hard things. So, yeah, no, yeah. I love that because I was going to ask you, do you feel or think your experience, all the above, um, does self-confidence come before self-trust? So it's almost the precursor to self-trust. And I feel like you kind of yeah. just landed on that. that well, it, so let's just yeah. operationalize himself. Yeah. Confidence mm-hmm. is state specific. Okay. So it is um, transient. It, it It's fleeting. It changes from moment to moment and environment to environment. And so self-confidence, and most people when they hear that, they go, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm pretty confident in general. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. So we'll go underneath the surface and talk about it. But by definition, state self-confidence is state specific. Yep. And there's this calculus that's happening and it's this um, idea of like you are taking an internal inventory of your capabilities matched up against the perceived external challenge. And that's 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 the calculus for confidence. Yeah. And if it's favorable or closely aligned, you go, I think I can do that. Mm. So that's what confidence is. It's state specific. You're watching something or thinking about something that that is happening or about to happen. Then yep. you map up against your internal resources, all of the skills and abilities that allow you to potentially meet that challenge. Yeah. And if it's favorable, then you're on the positive side of self-confidence. So it would be unreasonable to think that I I could be confident in playing Michael Jordan in basketball. Mm. I can do my best, yeah. but it'd be unreasonable to think that I can um, confidently beat him or you know be better than him or whatever. So how does confidence work in that equation? Is that when you are more tuned to the things that are in your control, yeah. then you have a broader base to go into environments confidently. Yeah. So I can be confident that I'm going to compete. Mm-hmm. I can be confident that I'm going to learn. I can be confident that I'm going to have a good time. I can be confident that I'm not going to be a jerk. I can be confident that um, I'll be there to the very end. Yeah. You know, like yeah. even if it's zero forty five, as right. long as he wants to go. I So there's there's you can be confident in things that you can control. Yeah. And that gives a broader base for that sense of I think I might be able to do that. Yeah. But at the same time. The other side, if you're trying to be confident on things you cannot control, mm-hmm. that calculus gets really wonky. Yeah, sure. And that's where we start to bleed into arrogance and hubrism and like these other contorted, distorted ways of thinking about what you're capable of. And so one last little asterisk is that great athletes yeah. overestimate their skills and abilities. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so they, te- they tend to go in environments thinking that they're really confident, even though yeah. they're maybe a little business, very little business in it. So that overestimation of skills and abilities shows up in elite performers pretty consistently. So do you, I mean, you've worked with some of the greatest elite performers in various domains. And is this, is it, you've, you've totally focused on what they're able to control, their skills, psychological skills, their craft. And not at all on the outcome. How, how does that work? Because I'm sure yeah, that's a cool so many, I mean, I know, you know, the outcome matters to me, mm-hmm. but how do you, how do you create that separation so that you're not attached to that? Or is that part of your process when you're coaching and training with? Yeah, I think. A messy but, way to ask a question, but I think. <laughs> you know, I, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll repeat it. So yeah. Is it, is the question, how do you work with the electricity of an outcome that somebody so, dearly wants and to 
to be able to work with that electricity in a way that we're refocusing on the things that we can control and to for that to feel like if you you become masterful of self and craft that you just might have a better chance of those outcomes like how do you stay that course yeah. is that or is it more about how do you how do you shift the attention over to the controllables I know I think it's it's it's, it's the former and I think because I think it's so easy for all of us who want to perform great to get focused on the end result well the end result like pays the bill right you know the end result when you podium at the games or um, you're in your third contract in whatever league and you've performed really well Mm -hmm. bills are paid um Like you can change your legacy from your, I'm sorry, your family legacy. I'm not interested in personal legacy, but you can change kind of the trajectory of your family. Mm -hmm. You can really do some stuff with consistent high performance, certainly in arenas in which the masses celebrate that high performance. Yeah, I think some of the most high performing, creative, resourceful people on the planet are single parents Mm. and like figuring out how to send three kids to college on your own. Yeah. When maybe you didn't go yourself, so you don't really know the path. Like, I look at those folks and I go, hot oh, damn, that, that is it. Like, but we don't celebrate them the same way we celebrate somebody who can do something special with their body or, yeah. you know, a marker on canvas, right? Like, it's yeah. very, very different. Right. So, so the idea, though, is that the outcomes are so electric, is that why are they so electric? Yes, they pay bills. Okay, so let's just be concrete. But we've been conditioned from a very young age in a culture that is obsessed with performance. Yeah. Certainly in the United States, but most of the Western world is obsessed Mm -hmm. with performance. So then it makes perfect sense to fit in that culture well that you would develop or I would develop a performance-based identity. Mm. So if the culture is obsessed about anything, then it would make sense that the identity would be closely lined to fit into that obsessed culture. So many of us have a performance-based identity. And what does that mean? That means my identity is intact when I am doing something better than you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, like, it's, it's so crazy, yeah. right? Because performance is, it's a relative, like relative to my performance yesterday, that's not how we do it. Yeah. It, although I think it ought to be, you know, <laughs> but how it's relative to how well somebody else is doing it and how well I force rank and stack mm. up against others. So that's where performance-based identity becomes really confusing is that we trade our sense of self mm-hmm. for how well we're doing something to the approval of others. Yes. As opposed to, let's go back to your original question. I want to fall in love with what it feels like to unlock, to learn, to add a new dimension or contour to the thing that I'm so interested in, basketball or conversations in my case or whatever. Mm -hmm. I want to unlock a new dimension to it because I love this craft. I love this science and art. And that there's a purity in getting better there. And if you're nearly obsessed with wanting to be better and unlock and to do it your unique way, Likely, that is so rare and special. Likely, you will become so good at it that the outcomes start to take care of themselves. Totally love that. All that being said, is like you and I have mutual friends that are, you know, six foot three, jump 40 inches, (laughs) like roll out of bed and and, and work their ass off. Yeah. 
to be great. But I, I'm probably not suited for that environment. So mm-hmm. even if I loved it, mm-hmm. but my genetic makeup isn't well aligned with it, yeah, I'm probably not going to be a sumo wrestler. <laughs> probably like, not. <laughs> may, maybe you know, but like that's it's probably not for me. Right. So there is this. It doesn't mean I can't pursue it professionally. Mm-hmm. But if the pursuit is because I absolutely fundamentally loves love the way feels to knock around or get knocked around and have that leverage, then I have to also let go of being the best Mm -hmm. because I'm not really designed for it properly. Mm -hmm. But when you get that really unique um, collision of physical, physiological, mental capabilities that fit with the environment to say, keep going, keep going, look at that, keep going, you might be the best in the world, but... More importantly, what you can control is being your very best. Yeah. And the difference between those two aims in life Mm -hmm. are miles apart. Being your best, approaching being your best versus approaching being the best. Yeah. And um, I've got a 15-year-old son. And the question almost every day is, was that your best work? Not, I don't care how his teammates or his classmates are doing. Yeah. Is that your best work? And he goes, I don't know, Dad. You know, I go, well, that's that's our that's our approach together. How are we going to figure out if that's, that's your bad. very best? And so, like that would be the tension. Is this my best work? Yeah. You know, I don't know. And so, just having that dialogue and so good. Yeah, is I think, um, and I say it in a way that he feels exasperated by my questioning, but um, sometimes <laughs> he does. But more so, it's super supportive. Well, it's cool because it's it's almost like you keep him really curious. To what is the best, and that, I think best. that yeah, to what his, is excuse his me, best. his yeah. best, and that curiosity piece. I mean, you want to talk about curiosity? Yeah, because I love that subject, and I love what you how you talk about curiosity in the book. Okay, before yeah. we go to curiosity, like sure. I, I just want to acknowledge that um, you can become the best in the world by many ways. You mm-hmm. can become the best in an industry, or you can become like so many. You can get there so many ways. I'm not saying that the focus on being the best in the world is absolutely problematic. Yeah. But you deleverage yourself when you're focusing on trying to be something that is out of your control. And I'm not a fan of put it being personally or helping somebody that I'm working with be deleveraged. We want to maximize leverage. Right. So that's the difference between mastery and the, like the path of mastery versus the path of high performance. Or yeah. the path of mastery, or the or versus the the path of excellence, and so there's so many people in our worlds that we know together that are fundamentally committed to being the best in the world. The yep. cost is high. Yeah, and so I don't want to get too lost in it. I just want no, to acknowledge so how how electric um, extraordinary outcomes are. Yeah, and I want to celebrate all of those. Yeah, but I don't want to be in a deleveraged position. No. I want to feel, um, this goes back to autonomy and agency, and there's mm-hmm. some technical words here. I want to feel powerful in my own self. And and when I am leaving so much up to chance, mm-hmm. if you and I are competing at something, makeup, let's say. <laughs> <laughs> A past life of yours, that right? Is, yeah. right. Oh, you, yeah. are you laughing at me now? No. Yeah, that's very good. I'm like the visual. <laughs> the visual, oh yeah, right. <laughs> That like I'm, if I'm trying to be my best, yeah, I, I can be okay 
doing something next to you. But if I'm trying to be better than you, I'm completely deleveraged. You're miles ahead of where I am, where I'll ever be with it. Yeah. It's a silly game when you really think about it. But the reason we're so desperate to be on a podium is so we get recognized. Mm. And I'll tell you a story. This sounds... Yes. So early days in the UFC, I was working with um, a, a fighter that was in a championship fight and um, center of the ring, belt around his waist and his hand went up. He won. And he said, Mike, for a few moments, I had this incredible silence. Like it was awesome. Like I've never felt that. It was really great. But by the time my hand came down, I immediately thought, I got to fucking keep doing this because my dad and my, my relationship with my dad is built around this thing. And if I stop, wow. I think that relationship stops. So I fucking hate this. I hate it. I'm the best in the world and I hate why I do it. I don't like any of this. So, and I, I could give you stories on, on stories yeah. about the podium national anthem happening where people come off and they say, I'm still fucking miserable. Like I'm here and I thought I'd be different. Mm. This is backstage at the Olympics yeah. with a medal around their neck, tears. And the world thinks that the tears are like of relief and celebration and all the sacrifices and like how wonderful this is and like how meaningful. And they're backstage going, I traded everything for this. Mm. And I'm fucking miserable. And so um, that's not the case for everybody. No, but I can say, I mean, I'm thinking about people in my own life. I grew up around so many, I mean, world-class athletes and I there's one person in particular who I think about, you know, where a lot of how she received love was when she was winning mm -hmm. and yeah, she kept it. winning and winning and winning. And, and, and so there was just that was a thought that came to my mind was was her and her journey. And then when she, you know, um, when she retired as uh, one of the greatest pro professional surfers, you know, there's that kind of comes back to you as you know, that, that validation, mm -hmm. you know, internal versus external validation. I mean, that's a big subject and one that I love speaking about because I think more people are groomed to rely on the external to know who they are, that's to right. feel worthy. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. That, you're, that's, we're saying the exact, exact same thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you're up higher and on a podium and there's a spotlight on you that that moment can be like, I'm okay. Yeah. But it's fleeting and um, it doesn't mean you don't get paid. It doesn't mean there's not all these other benefits yeah but the path is costly the the washout like i i think if parents knew what i knew about how many like the downside of pursuing being the best they would not be pushing their kids mm -hmm. they wouldn't absolutely not because it's a real dark side that our society is not wanting or willing to go to and we celebrate the best in the world as if they are special yeah but we're missing all the casualties and grave, you know, emotional gravestones for so many that didn't even have a, really a chance. But they, the the risk is that in a performance obsessed world, we develop a performance based identity, mm -hmm. and then at a young age, if we're good at something, we fuse our identity with that thing that we're doing. Yeah. So then every time we go to the batter's box of whatever mm -hmm. art or sport, yeah, our entire identity is at stake. Yeah. And that's why hearts pound. That's why cotton mouth shaking, breathing changes is because it's not like this wonderful, exciting moment to go do something. <laughs> it's like, shit, I got to get this thing right. People are counting on me. And I don't want to look stupid. And I don't want to da, 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 da. And it, 
their entire identity is at stake. Yeah. That's why 87% that leave the league within two years, whatever the league is, mm-hmm. are broke, divorced, drunk, a wow. disaster in their life wow. because their entire identity is now having to be rebuilt. Right. So after 30 years of being the most dangerous phrase, I'm an athlete, I'm an artist, it no longer exists. Right. And so, Yeah, so this is where if you can do something different than performance-based identity mm-hmm. and have a purpose-based yes. identity, like what are you about? Not what you do, but what are you about? Yeah. What are you trying to solve? I love that. What are you doing in service of something that's bigger than you? Mm. Mother Teresa, if she was here, you know what we'd be talking about? What? (laughs) Can you two help me? That's what she, can you help me? Like, there's like 300 million people that um, don't have running water. Like, can you, can you help in some way? Yeah. There's, there's X number hundred of million people that like are suffering from skin diseases and poor health. Like, do you have any money? that you'd like to put towards that? Or would you like to come on some missions with me mm-hmm. and hold people that are dying? Okay, I'm being tr- super dramatic. <laughs> but like it was, it, she was on a mission. Uh, I'm sorry, her purpose was so clear mm-hmm. that it was bigger than her and she was in service of it. And I think any of the greats, anyone that comes to your mind, I'm yeah. curious who that is, but any of the greats that have stood up over time. Yeah. They were likely in service of something bigger than them. Mm. The ones that fall short are the ones that were in service of their ego, their identity. Yeah. And they they fade away. Queen, this is your call to greatness. If you are ready, and I mean truly ready, to shift anything in your outer experience, your outer reality, your finances, your health, your relationship, anything career related, um, anything spiritual, any shift that you wanna make that has to do with your reality has to first start with shifting who you are, your self-identity. My Future Self Digital Course is your supportive blueprint that helps you achieve this. The inner shapes the outer. So when you get crystal clear on your core beliefs, your core values, your core desires, your high hard goals, you know, when you learn how to rewrite parts of your past that maybe don't feel so great and instead leverage those experiences to be fuel for you to expand and to grow, this is how you start to change the game behind the game of life, which all starts and ends with you. I've designed this course from my heart, soul, and experience to be a femininely fierce experience for you to uncover and connect with your most authentic self. And as a Future Self student, you get three months free membership access to Queendom. This is where we really get to connect. Queendom is such a rad, sacred, empowered space where every month you get a live Q&A call with me so we can connect and troubleshoot any area of your life that you would like or just get some encouragement from me as well as the other queens in the community. This is a really sacred space and I will see you in Queendom. Um, something that comes to my mind is, so f- purpose is a big subject, right? What's my purpose? And I think a lot of people get pressured by this. Like you have to do something that's just, you know, press worthy. And it's like, do you? Mm-hmm. 
my greatest purpose is to truly be myself the whole way through. Cool. To live as authentically as I can, follow the yes, follow the no. And what I found at this point, 45, is that in doing so, I'm actually the greatest contributor. There you go. Because I... So that's where, that's yeah. where you go from like self to others, like yeah. from um, big, big S on self to small S in service, right? Mm. So like, I'm sorry, I said that wrong. Small S in self, big S in service. So okay. I, when, when you know who you are, you can really be in service and it's authentic and it's real. Yeah. And, but if you don't do that internal work first, you just, I don't know, it, it gets really confusing and messy. Yeah. Yeah. So, so w when you are your very best on a consistent basis, what, what is your hope? that that does? Well, first and foremost, I feel that it, authenticity is palpable, right? If I'm showing up, first of all, I'm always vulnerable. Mm -hmm. I think the most vulnerable thing you can do is be your true self, yeah, right? Cool. And so my hope is that whoever I'm faced, you know, with or, or sitting across with or coming into connection with, um, they also get permission, the invitation for them to be their true selves, too. Like, right. let's be vulnerable together. Just yeah, be you, right. you know? Yeah. And so, I mean, that's the first thing that comes and to my mind. And when that happens, what do you hope yeah. happens? Um, well, I don't know. Whatever the magic is that the person's there to express from their most authentic self. And that's part of the fun, right? Mm -hmm. What is it going to be? Yeah, Who are right. you? Like, where yeah. are we going to go from here, you know? Yeah. Uh, because, I, and I love, yeah, just back to the start of the conversation, just you, when you talk about being in an honest environment, mm -hmm. that's really important. You know, when I spend time with myself, which I do a lot, I'm an introvert, and I, I, I just, oh, I yeah, love right. it. You know, introverted feeler or introverted thinker. Ooh, that's a good question. Mm. Um, do you share your emotions and feelings with people more mm. easily, or do you share your thoughts? It's a reverse. Can I? Can I do story. both? <laughs> yeah. So introverted, as you know, they gather energy from being connected to their inner life. Yeah. Okay. Right. And extroverts gather energy from being connected to their external life. Mm. Okay, so the introverts, um, there's a little mystery about how the introvert works, right? It's like it's what's happening in there. <laughs> and then, but then, even more so, are you more precious with your feelings and emotions? Mm. Like they're they're introverted, yeah, more than thoughts. And so you, we do need to interface with others sure. in some way. So do you interface, do you extrovert your thoughts yeah. more easily or do you extrovert your feelings more easily is another way of getting at it. Oh, that's such a good question because I speak, right? And mm -hmm. I podcast, so I'm certainly sharing the thoughts, but I feel like so much emotion comes with the thoughts because I'm just so passionate and like that's just, that's the package uh, so, of them. So maybe so. You're, you're pointing to the way that you gather energy is from thinking and feeling privately. hundred percent. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so yeah. when you're having to extrovert your thoughts or emotions, like there's a drain to that. It's not giving. It's actually, there's a tax to that. It can be. I mean, it depends. Yeah. It depends. If I'm sitting with somebody who's authentic and is on that same, you know, we're on the same uh, playing field together, yeah. then it's, there's an exchange that actually yeah. is very giving. But if if I'm not in a room with honest energy, mm -hmm. then it's actually taxing. Yeah. So there's like the shadow secondary thing that's happening. Then you're sensitive to it. You pick it up yeah. quickly. Yeah. yeah. My wife is an introvert. And, you know, one on. So if we go to a social event. Yeah. 
she would far rather just hang with one or two people and mm-hmm. have this in a noisy room, like a, a honest conversation. Yeah. And then um, early in my life, I would like bounce around from group to group. Yeah. And so that I'm the extrovert energy kind of, um, I, I gather energy from being in those environments. And mm-hmm. so I go from group to group. And now I'd so much rather, I th- she's like worn off, worn off <laughs> of me in like all the right ways. Like, I'm like, yeah, let's just sit here and go deep, you know, so. But do you think actually yeah. that, I'm taking this in the weeds, but that's really important because I wonder if you're such a deep thinker and I would say feeler too. I mean, just from knowing you and knowing oh, your work, you. like, mm-hmm. yeah. And so throughout your life, I mean, your consciousness has just been expanding and expanding and expanding. And so I wonder if, you know, the the level of conversation at, for you at this point of your consciousness, mm-hmm. it's, it's just you, you got to go in deep. Like that's really where you're going to feel the most alive, the most... Yep. Right? Just electrified. Is, 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 is that it? what you notice for yourself as well? Absolutely. Yeah. hundred percent. Cool. Yeah. Like, you know, chit chat's fine. But, you know, like, but it's just. <laughs> it's like, kind of, I can do is it? it? I can You're do nicer it than I am. 10 minutes, you know, like at a social event. And I'm like, yeah. I, yeah. So, um, I, I, and I, I mean, I like, I think people are amazing and really interesting. Totally. And I do like to, um, to, understand a person's journey and like i'll ask a question let's say in in any in some sort of social gathering or whatever and i'll ask a question and then i do like i'm not analyzing anything you have to pay me to analyze like that's work right but like i do like to feel what the conversation feels like and like oh there's a block there that's interesting and i'm not analyzing it like oh okay well that's about the depth we go to (laughs) okay (laughs) all right that's cool (laughs) yeah and i do the same thing like there's people i'm like yeah you're not you're not getting in. Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> you know, so like, but we're, we're always trying to take care of ourselves. Right. And, yeah, so. No, I love it though. I love, I love what you just shared. Cause I, I truly feel like your curiosity is so palpable to me. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. It's really yeah. genuine. It's like, your well, I got questions. made fun of as a kid. For Did it. you? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Gervais, and, do you have another fucking question? You know, this is like, <laughs> that know, is like, so badass. Oh yeah. And I, so I had to, I had to figure out like, um, it was natural, and then it put it away because it was like, yeah, dude, you ask a lot of questions. Why don't you shut the fuck up? You know, like these are fourteen-year-old. You know, like these were not, these were not these. My friends were not. We, I grew up in Burnout Beach, and so it's local here. Yeah, and it's earned its name. Mm. <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> you know, most folks have a hard time getting out of Burnout Beach, so I got pushed out because I asked too many questions. That's yeah. hilarious. It's do you do you thing. kind of laugh at that though? Considering yeah, like, your, I mean, now I ask. Like professionally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I got in trouble for talking too much in, in school. My mom had to come sit in class once while I, we took a test. But and it was really more of like just I like connecting yeah. with people, you know. So it's just interesting as a kid, yeah. these things that we either get Would in trouble Would you have from. imagined your life when you're 14 that you are, you said 46, 44? I'll be 46 this year. I'm 45 yeah. right now, yeah. Do you, like, yeah. did you have an idea of what 45 was going to look like? Not at all. Yeah. I remember sophomore year, they came to high school. I went to Redondo. Oh, you did? I, I didn't, did. I did yeah, not I know here. that. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Grew up here, dude. And oh. they come to class and they're like, so what do you want to be? And there were these index cards, like back then, like the job, like the career. And I was like, lifeguard? I surf. Like, 
That's a good job. I moved to Kauai when yeah. I was 18. Oh, I was like, oh, yeah. yeah. I was like, it was all, had no idea yeah. what I did really well. And I, I feel, this is a question, and also just sharing a feeling about you, is that the similarity of like, I've just always listened to me and allowed that to guide me. Go this way. Move to New York. Don't know anybody. Sure. I got to be here. Mm. Okay. You know what I mean? So I just kept, I always had, I was always very goal driven, but I wouldn't say there was this one thing that I thought I was going to do or be with the exception of when I was really young, I was a competitive runner and I just wanted to be like Flo Jo. Oh, you did? Yeah. She was so badass. Makeup. Yeah. yeah. The whole thing. Yeah. Is that where makeup came from for you? No. Um, no, I think it's just, you know, it was, it was, so I've always been creative, painting, writing. Ultimately, it was, I loved how I could make a woman feel better about herself mm. through a little this or that, mm. right? Just like with the makeup and, you know, and then I would discover that, oh, this is a real, you could do this. This is like an actual career. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, and it was, it was gnarly, you know, it was, I, I stopped. I started at the very bottom and climbed to the top 1% and left at the top 1%. Oh, you did, yeah. Which is so interesting because yeah. you think about, like, performance-based identity. Mm-hmm. And there's actually a lot of things in your book. I, I truly love your book. There were a lot of, there were a lot of aspects. You. Like, when I started the podcast, I'm jumping around really quick, but when I started the podcast, I was still doing makeup. And I remember thinking and feeling, oh, shit, now I'm going to be sharing this. Everyone knows me as this. Yeah, right. right? And yeah. it's like, but I didn't, you know, I had the feelings of like, oh, shit, here we go. We're going to, but they did not override the, but I love this and I'm going in and we're going to just fucking put this out there mm. and let it go wherever it's going to go, mm. you know? So, yeah, that was. I, yeah, I had a, it's similar. I had a conversation with, um, he was the CEO of PayPal. Now he's the CEO of Nike. And he was in between jobs and it sounds like it was a crisis. It wasn't, it was like, he was just in his phase where he wasn't, um, he didn't know what he was doing. He was exploring. Mm-hmm. And he says, uh, something to the effect of, um, the world expects me to go find another big CEO job or, you know, and I've got lots of offers, but I kind of want to go and become a photographer. I just want to go take pictures but he's got these golden handcuffs, if you will, about what the world expects. Yeah. And he was really in a beautiful phase where he's like, and I'm just listening to me right now, yeah. which is like, it was just a, an emblem for like how important that is. Even if you've got a big job and it's something you've always wanted to keep listening to yourself. Like what does, I, Kat Stevens is one of my favorite artists and I listen to my words and they fall far below. Mm. So it's not just listening to the words, but it's the feelings that come with it. Yeah. And even even that is not a complete way to articulate what is right and what is not. Like that just you and I are right now are having this conversation with made up language. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's completely made up in this body that you're inhabiting, <laughs> and this body that I'm inhabiting. And like we don't know if there's many bodies like 10,000, you know, eons from like. We have no idea what is really happening. We yeah. don't really know even how the brain works. Mm. And so we, we can't see the mind. Yeah. Now, I know that this is my whole discipline as a psychologist. Like 
thoughts exist, but where are they? How much do they weigh? Where do they go? What's the origin? Like, we have no idea about any of this, but we're made up language. We're trying to communicate and have a sense of meaning in this world that um, uh, from a distance is kind of looking silly, yeah. but we take it so seriously. Mm-hmm. And um, so a long way of saying, um, listening to that part within you that words fall far below yeah, and being connected to that part is a real skill. And do you feel that that's what you've done? Because I feel mm-hmm. just from knowing, you mm-hmm. know, your your journey, I feel like that's what you've done. Yeah, I mean that. I didn't. I I was forced into it. Were you? Oh yeah. My my um, I I probably ran like my dad's. My parents um love. They're both alive. I love mm-hmm. them, and so I don't want to embarrass yeah. anyone. But like, dad was an alcoholic addict. Mom was codependent. So I grew up not knowing what the truth was. Oh. You know, like, so it's messy when you are a child of an addict. It's a messy environment. And then you've got another parent that's loving and kind and making it seem like it's all okay. So I grew up um, just kind of working on the surface and like knowing that there's another part of me. And I remember I did share this part in the book where I was young. It was like 12 or 13. I said to my mom, um, she goes, how are you? Like she finally checked in. No, no, not, not really. She was always checking in, <laughs> yeah. but like, how are you? And I go, I feel empty. Yeah. Like I just feel really empty. Like there's a, there's a hollowness. And looking back, I know why it wasn't depression. It was just like, I didn't have, we would go to spiritual practice. It was Catholic church at the time for me. And, mm-hmm. but, um, but I was missing the truth. I didn't have any grasp of it. And so Fast forward, I was just kind of bouncing around selfishly doing my thing. And seven years into my marriage, my wife says, listen, you're a good man, but uh, you, you got to get out. I'm done. Like, what? Like, what? Like, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's figure this out. She goes, you said that before. Mm. I go, no, 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 no. Like, come on. And I'm not a, I'm, I'm not a, um, I'm not trying to take advantage of anybody, but I, that part of my life was very, very selfish. Yeah. I was in the library. I was studying the sports psychology thing. I was getting my degree. I was I was obsessed with it. And I crowded out all the space for another person to live their best life. Mm. And so it wasn't until that point and I moved out. And I know the research. Moving out, separation is the first step to like an 87% chance. I said that number earlier, but I think it's the same number. Um, divorce. <laughs> yeah, d- yeah, of divorce. And so I was like, fuck. And um, so a month later, I was like, hey, can, come on, let's go to work. And she goes, I'm done. <sighs> she goes, I love you so much, but I need to back me. Like I've lost me. I said one session. So we show up to our first session in therapy. And... Um, wise woman's on the other side of the table. I'm Italian by roots. She's full Latina and uh, Cuban and El Salvadorian. And the therapist stopped us at about like 20 minutes in and says, <laughs> she, goes, she goes, okay, okay, okay. This is about as bad as it gets. <laughs> I was like, oh God. Oh my God. So um, she goes, all right, listen, I got one question for you guys. Um, two, uh, two questions. She says, Mike, do you know you need to work on yourself? I was like, yeah, um, apparently, <laughs> right? Like, Yes. And then she looks at to my wife and says, do you know you need to work on yourself? And my wife's like, yeah, of course. And um, 
So then she looks to both of us and says, who do you want to do the work with? Somebody else or with each other? And I've, so good. I was as naked as I've ever been. I was like, this is the question. Yeah. And I, I couldn't take up any space because I knew what I wanted, but you can't convince anybody for anything. And, um, well, for the short term, maybe you can. But, <laughs> <laughs> and so um, my heart was like in the bottom of my stomach and I'm just waiting for the answer. And her, I, I look over, I didn't want to make eye contact. I was too afraid. I look over and her eyes are just full and welling. And she doesn't even look at me. She knows I'm staring. She looks right at the, the wise woman and she says, I don't want to do this work with anyone else, but I don't trust he'll do the work. Oh, damn. So um, that damn. started like this really um, deep commitment to say, what am I doing? Mm. Like, really, what am I doing? Because I was unhealthily obsessed with being the best. And so this is when the earlier part of our conversation, yeah. like I, I, it served me well to get me into a deep understanding of this complicated science, mm -hmm. but shit, like the cost was unbelievable. And so the amount of work we did mm -hmm. to put it back on rails was way more than any research I did in the library. And so it took years. We're, we're, we're 27 years in now. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, That's no, we're badass. Years. Yeah, so, That's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. So the work that it doesn't stop. Yeah. And um, there's times when it feels like it's less intense than other times. But um, did that process, did it up level you with your work? With oh, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I, I don't I don't think I knew really. I knew all the research. Yeah. But I don't think I knew what the hell I was doing at all. Mm. Like at all. And um, everything so you need rough. to know is already inside you. Yeah, I believe that. And when you have an environment that is forcing it to be true, in this case, it was this wise woman and, and another wise woman, my wife, these two women were saying, bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. Like, really? Is that, you know, okay, this is what I hear you saying. But those aren't your actions, you know, like, yeah, um, Mike, why don't you keep working on yourself a little bit more? You know, was the message. <laughs> so, it's so, so yeah. good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So good. Okay, a couple. So there's a quote that has been literally flashing in my mind as we're talking from your book. Mm. And the quote is, mastery is not comparative. Mm -hmm. It's so good. Oh, you like that? Yeah. I love it. Mm -hmm. Can you elaborate? Yeah, I think that um, if you think about just, let's just do um, canvas artists for a minute. Mm -hmm. um, well, we talk about Beethoven in, in the yeah. book. So let's just use Beethoven for a moment. Beethoven had FOPO. Beethoven had this radical fear of people's opinions, so much so that he created this narrative about himself that he was aloof and he was, but he was terrified of what people would think if they actually saw like this thing that was happening for him, which was he was losing his hearing. And so mastery is uh, mastery is not comparative. Is that it's it doesn't make any sense really to just focus on one composed piece of Beethoven and think like let's compare Beethoven's best to Ma to Bach's best or to I don't know um, Eminem's best mm -hmm. like it, that's not how this works. And then but you really can't understand the full genius 
of somebody's art until you look at the entirety of their art and understand it. But then, then who would you possibly compare that to? Because even though there's a contemporary of theirs that lived in a similar time, they didn't have the same life experiences. Yeah. So you end up there's there you are an N of one. Yes. And I'm an N of one. And that's a scientific term for like a number. There's only one person in this experiment. Mm -hmm. So you're running your own experiment and and you have every faculty and ability to be on the path of mastery. And so let's look at what you are creating as opposed to comparing comparing yourself to others. That's what high performers do. Yeah. How do I rank next to others? Um, artists and or the people committed to the path of mastery are not playing that game. So we can do it. We can say, who's the best? Is it LeBron or Michael or Kobe? Like we can play that game. It's all, it's really futile. Yeah. It's com completely futile. And if you just look at a person's body of work, the way that they've lived their life, the things that they've expressed and, and be in awe of how much they actually had to carry and how they were able to work with that heaviness. We all go through traumas yeah. and how they were able to work with that. That's the part of the human experience. I go, I need to understand the full context before I'm in the judging game about anything. And there's so much to try to understand. It is completely futile to try to compare. Um, we never have enough information to really understand. And we're comparing ends of ones. So that, that's where I start to go. And it's a fun, maybe ESPN.com radio show narrative about who's the best of all time or whatever. But it's, it really is quite futile. It's so perfect because I think now more than ever, especially with social media, there's just constant comparative mm. and comparing going on, you know. And I know from women that I mentor and coach, it's just that's a real issue. Yeah. You know? oh, yeah. It's just yeah. and and so I love what you're saying, because when you're really living a life of mastery, you're in your own lane. Yeah. Well, there's an end of one lane. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's no. And it's really hard if you're not in a community with at least one or two other people that have made that fundamental commitment. Like sure. it's Like, it's kind of like folks, um, imagine the first person or first handful of people that summited Everest, you know, this thing that nobody thought could be done. And then imagine coming down to all the people that thought you were crazy mm -hmm. and trying to explain the smell and the texture and the, the, the air quality and the things that you felt. There's not a color palette that you could point to to say this is like it's like that. Right. Because it's not like that. It can't, it's so different. Yeah. And that's when you're, you're trying to do something in your life that um, has meaning and impact and is special and is authentic to you and you know that only through the depths will that ever emerge into something beautiful, that um, it's hard to have conversations with other people because there's an aloneness that yeah. comes with this path. So if you can find a couple other people, they're like, I see you. Mm -hmm. And um, all right, let me know when you're scared because I get scared too. <laughs> and like, I got your back. And um, <laughs> So good. Right. And, and like, let, let, let's talk about that. Yeah. If you can get on a couple folks that fundamentally commit to the narrow path that we're talking about, it makes all the, the difference in the world. Most people are, are trying to compare. And right. like, it's, it is totally futile. Yeah. And I can hear like my younger self going, it's Michael Jordan. It, it's, <laughs> you know, like, come on, you know, he is the best, <laughs> you know, right? So, so anyways, yeah. No, 
but I feel like it's two separate. You explained it so perfectly to me. It's it's really two separate situations. I mean, it's not that you can't compare, you know, Jordan to. I mean, it's just the perspective of how you're, or where you're coming from when you're comparing, right? But I feel. Someone who's really here to become a self-actualized individual and to live a life of mastery, it's like there's – your path is your path. You are you. And mm-hmm. when you're authentically expressing yourself – I know you said you didn't like that word, but I don't well, know. No, I put it in the subtitle of my book. So I, I do <laughs> like it, but it kind of makes me a little crazy. Why? So, Just well, curious. Because it's like – it's this Overused. thing that people throw out there. Yeah, like totally. It's almost like a placeholder. I, I mean I spent I a lot it. of time – massaging and articulating what that meant for me and what it means. Yeah. So, um, but it's almost like thrown around in the business world. Like I'm just being my authentic self. Yeah. That's not, that's not code for being um, an asshole or a sharp in a way that is disrespectful or like being scared. No, 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 no. Look, the business world is not therapy. Mm. Right. And like your authentic self, that doesn't mean bring your full self. That means bring your very best to the shared mission. Mm-hmm. And I'm not so that and that is not in conflict with psychological safety. Psychological safety is like, look, speak truth to power, say it like it is. And when you say it like it is, you're not going to get fired for it. We're going to actually love you for it because we need that. That's psychological safety. Yeah. But this idea that like you can be all of you in the work environment, that is not how this works. Yeah, totally. Yeah. There's parts you. of you. There's yeah. parts of you like that actually get in the way of the mission. Sure. And parts of me too. Yeah. That doesn't make, mean I'm not bringing the the fullness of me to it, but I'm not bringing all the baggage that you have to deal with that is pulling us away from our purpose or mission. Right. But I do need to bring the best of me forward to be a great teammate to you. So there's so many more questions that I have. I'm so grateful for this time with you. Truly, this is a conversation that I literally manifested because when I started my podcast six years ago, you were a target. You were you like right out the gate thinking oh, about who are mm. the people that you'd like to speak with, and you were one. And so <laughs> it took six years. It took six <laughs> Come years. On. Yeah. Perfect timing, <laughs> though. Time. Yeah. Truly. And my Thank hope you. is that. We can continue conversing. Oh yeah, let's just, let's go part two. Yeah, you know, there's there's <laughs> more questions. You. Let's go part there two. There's so anytime. many yeah. questions. Yeah. A final question that I'd like to ask to end this incredible conversation with you is, what did writing this book teach you about yourself? This is your first book, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Outside of the Audible, Audible original, original, which they technically say <laughs> right. is not a book, first but it's physical book, physical hard, <laughs> yes, yeah, yes. bound, yeah. Um, first, thank you for uh, the kindness in the way that you just shared that compliment is the way I took it. So thank you for that. And um, I, too, have enjoyed the conversation. Mm. Yeah. So thank, thank you. you. Yeah. Uh, what did what did it mean or what did I learn? What did you learn about yourself? What did I learn about myself? Um, I learned that writing for me is hard. I enjoy writing, but it is hard to get... Um, sentence conjoined in a way that flows. So there's a very technical part that is very agitating for me. And I and I had help. Kevin Lake, who's on the cover of the book, is so responsible for um the 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 seamlessness of ideas that at least at least we think is kind of seamless. <laughs> um at a deeper level, the thing that I when I started the book, um I thought I was going to share some science and then it kept coming back 
from the editor, where are you in this book? Mm. You're like, you're not just a scientist from the podium, like bring yourself into it. And that was harder than I thought. I don't like to write with the word I oh. in the sentences because um, we're all interconnected and it's not just me, it's us. And But it doesn't, that was hard to translate. So there's a lot of wheeze in right. there and that, that didn't work. So I, the editor's like, this is just bad English. So like, <laughs> get over it, Mike. So that, but that part represented like this safety that I feel look, my profession is as a psychologist. So as a sport performance psychologist, but think about that construct. I spent decades studying the mind. And then I go into an environment, which is the most conservative approach. Mm. There's no risk taking in going the academic route. You know, the real risk is that you're going to miss out on something else, but it felt wonderful to me. And then I'm spending time with the highest risk taking people on the planet, but I have to control the environment. I'm saying I, yeah. as in it is the we the, the of psychologists. It's a private little environment where one person's asking questions of another and one person is completely safe and the other person is way more vulnerable. And I realized like, I've been fucking hiding a lot. And so much so that yes, I wanna be, represent the we in all things, but I don't bring myself forward in that way because I'm actually, I was scared, I'm afraid that, and that's why this book was so important for me personally to write, but I think for others to read is that we hide the best of ourselves in the fear that we're not okay in the eyes of others. And I say that all with like, there's a freedom I know now that I didn't know two years ago or 20 years ago, and I'm still on it. Yeah. And the way that this worked is I, I wrote a three-page article for Harvard Business Review. 12 months later, they called back and said, um, you are the number one downloaded article for the last 12 months in a row. You touched a nerve. Wow. So there's a, there's a thing that I'm, struggled with that I think that many of us are or did or do, or yeah. they know loved ones that are in the thick of it. I think we're all, I think we all have a little bit of this FOPO. I agree with you. And I think it's one of the greatest constrictors of my or your or mm -hmm. our potential. Yes. So let's just meet it head on, Yeah. you know, get to know that dragon and exercise the dragon. And, <laughs> you know, maybe that dragon will recline a little bit and you know, just enjoy the good life with us. So, so yeah. So thank you for creating oh, the space. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, and thank, thank you for your you. laugh. Oh. <laughs> it is absolutely by far the best part of this conversation. And everyone listening knows that. <laughs> for sure. It's as real as I mean, I can't hold <laughs> I wouldn't want to anyways. It's good dopamine, right? We're getting. No, I am so grateful. And thank you for sharing that. That mm. was really special. And I, cool. I really, really mean this with all my heart. If you haven't. You as in everyone watching, listening, have not already got this incredible book, The First Rule of Mastery. By the way, I've never held up a book like this in a podcast and done okay, this. Cool. Yeah, no, this but cool. legit, yeah. this is, I Thank mean, you. yeah, this book, this book will serve everybody who gets it because you're right. There's not, at some point or many points in certain areas or many areas, we all face FOPO, fear of other people's opinions. 
So this book to me is like a handbook <laughs> to help you awesome. get through that. Thank yeah. You. yeah. So thank you. Where where does everybody tune into you? Your incredible podcast. Okay. Yeah. Instagram. Finding Mastery Podcast is a fun place. Like, so um, yeah, we love it. Yeah. Thank you. And then um, if you want to see if you have FOPO, like mm. go get the book anywhere. Like that's awesome. It sends a signal like, hey, maybe this guy should write another one. So like, yes. if, you say, if that's cool, we appreciate that. And if you want to just kind of dip your toe in, we built a fun little assessment to see if you have FOPO. Cool. And so you can find that on our website, which is FOPO. I'm sorry, findingmastery.com. Perfect. And there's a there's a link in there that yeah. you can find. And, and then social media, you know, all the handles are at Michael Gervais, G-E-R-V-A-I-S. All in the show notes. All in the show notes. Boom. Thank you. Appreciate Can't wait you. for part two. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening, you guys. Please like, subscribe, and share. And don't forget to leave us a five-star rating and review. 